Yo, what up though? Welcome back to Rejects Book Club where Constance, aka moi, reads you a chapter a day. The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. Chapter 7. I... The town of Hagsgate was shaped like a footprint, long toes splaying from a broad paw and ending in the dark claws of a digger. And indeed where the other towns of King Haggard's realm seemed to scratch like sparrows at the mean land. Hagsgate was well and deeply dug in. Its streets were smoothly paved, its gardens glowed, and its proud houses might have grown up out of the earth, like trees. Lights shone in every window, and the three travelers could hear voices like dogs barking, and dishes being scrubbed until they squeaked. They halted by a high hedge, wondering, do you suppose we took a wrong turn somewhere? And this isn't Hagsgate at all, Molly whispered. She brushed foolishly at her hopeless rags and tatters. I knew I should have brought my good dress, she sighed. Smendrick rubbed the back of his neck wearily. It's Hagsgate, he answered her. It must be Hagsgate. And yet, there's no smell of sorcery, no air of black magic. But why the legends then? Why the fables and fairy tales? Very confusing especially when you've had half a turnip for dinner. The unicorn said nothing. Beyond the town, darker than dark, King Haggard's castle teetered like a lunatic on stilts. And beyond the castle, the sea slid. The scent of the red bull moved in the night, cold among the town smells of cooking and living. Smendrick said, The good people must be indoors, counting their blessings. I'll hail them. He stepped forward and threw back his cloak. But he had not yet opened his mouth when a hard voice said out of the air, Save your breath, stranger, while you have it. Four men sprang from the behind the hedge. Two of them set their swords at Smendrick's throat, while the other guarded Molly with a pair of pistols. The fourth approached the unicorn to seize her mane, but she reared up, shining fiercely, and he jumped away. Your name, the man who had first spoken, demanded of Smendrick. He was middle-aged or more, as they all were, dressed in fine, dull clothing. Gick, said the magician, because of the swords. Gick, mused the man with the pistols. An alien name, naturally, the first man said. All names are alien in Hagsgate. Well, Mr. Gick, he went on, lowering his sword slightly to the point where Smendrick's collarbone converged. If you and Miss Gick would kindly tell us what brings you sculling here, Smendrick found his voice at that. I hardly know the woman, he roared. My name is Smendrick, Smendrick the magician, and I'm hungry and tired and unpleasant. Put those things away, or you'll each have a scorpion by the wrong end. The four men looked at one another. A magician, the first man said. The very thing. Two of the others nodded, but the man who had tried to capture the unicorn grumbled. Anyone can say he's a magician these days. The old standards are gone. The old values have been abandoned. Besides, a real magician has a beard. Well, if he isn't a magician, the first man said lightly, he'll wish he were soon enough. He sheathed his sword and bowed to Smendrick and Molly. I'm Dren, he said, and it is possibly a pleasure to welcome you to Hasgate. You spoke of being hungry, I believe. That's easily remedied. And then perhaps you will do us a good turn in your professional capacity. Come with me. Grown suddenly gracious and apologetic, he led them towards a lighted inn, 
where the other three men followed close behind. More town folks came running up now, streaming eagerly from their houses, with their own dinners half-eaten and their tea left steaming. So that by the time Smendrick and Molly were seated, there were nearly a hundred people wedged together in the inn's long benches, jamming into the doorway and falling through the windows. The unicorn unnoticed, paced slowly after, a white mare with strange eyes. The man named Dren sat at the same table with Smendrick and Molly, chatting as they ate and filling their glasses with a furry black wine. Molly Grew drank very little. She sat quietly, looking at the faces around her, and noting that none seemed younger than Dren's face, though a few were much older. There was a way in which all Hagsgate faces were very much alike, but she couldn't find it. And now, Dren said when the meal was over, now you must permit me to explain why we greeted you so uncivilly. No, no need, Smendrick chuckled. The wine had made him chuckly and easy, and had brightened his green eyes to gold. What I want to know is the reason for the rumors that Hagsgate's full of ghouls and werewolves. Most absurd thing I've ever heard of. Drin smiled. He was a naughty man with a turtle's head, empty jaws. It's the same thing, he said. Listen, the town of Hagsgate is under a curse. The room was suddenly very still. And in the beery light, the faces of the town folk looked as tight and pale as cheese. Smendrick laughed again. A blessing, you mean. In this bony kingdom of old haggards, you're likely another land altogether. A spring, an oasis. I agree with you that there is enchantment here, but I drink to it. Drin stopped him as he raised his glass. Not that toast, my friend. Will you drink to a woe fifty years old? It is that long since our sorrow fell, when King Haggard built his castle by the sea. When the witch built it, I think, Smendrick wagged a finger at him. Credit's where it's due, after all. Ah, you know the story, huh? Dren said. Then you must also know that Haggard refused to pay the witch when her task was complete. The magician nodded. Aye. And she cursed him for his greed, cursed the castle, rather. But what had that to do with Hagsgate? The town had done nothing to the witch. No, Dren replied, but neither had it done her any good. She could not unmake the castle, or would not, for she fancied herself an artistic sort and boasted that her work was years ahead of its time. Anyway, she came to the elders of Hagsgate and demanded that they force Haggard to pay what was due to her. Look at me and see yourselves, she rasped. That's the true test of a town or of a king. A lord who cheats an ugly old witch will cheat his own folk by and by. Stop him while you can, before you grow used to him. Dren sipped his wine and thoughtfully filled Smendrick's glass once more. Haggard paid her no money, he went on. And Hagsgate, alas, paid her no heed. She was treated politely and referred to the proper authorities whereupon she flew into a fury and screamed that in our eagerness to make no enemies at all, we had now made two. He paused, covering his eyes with lids so thin that Molly was sure he could see through them like a bird. With his eyes closed, he said, It was then that she cursed Haggard's castle and cursed our town as well. Thus, his greed brought ruin upon us all. In the sighing silence, 
Molly Grew's voice came down like a hammer on a horseshoe, as though she were again berating poor Captain Cully. Hagger's less at fault than yourselves, she mocked the folk of Hacksgate. For he was the only one thief, and you were many. You earned your trouble by your own avarice, not your king's. Drin opened up his eyes and gave her an angry look. We earn nothing, he protested. It was our parents and grandparents who the witch asked for help. And I'll grant you that they were as much to blame as Haggard in their way. We would have handled that matter quite differently. And every middle-aged face in the room scowled at every older face. One of the old men spoke up in a voice that wheezed and meowed. You'd have done just as we did. There were crops to harvest and stocks to tend, as there still are. There was Haggard to live with, and there still is. We knew very well how you would have behaved. You are our children. Dren glowered him down, and the other men began to shout spitefully, but the magician quieted them all by saying, What was the curse? Could it have anything to do with the Red Bull? The name rang coldly, even in the bright room, and Molly felt suddenly lonely on an impulse. She added her own question, though it had nothing to do with the conversation. Have any of you ever seen a unicorn? It was then that she learned two things, the difference between silence and utter silence, and that she had been quite right to ask that question. The Hagsgate faces tried not to move, but they did move. Dren sat carefully. We never see the bull, and we never speak of him. Nothing that concerns him can be any business of ours. As for unicorns, there are none. There never were. He poured the black wine again. I will tell you the words of the curse, he said. He folded his hands before him and began to chant. You whom Hagger holds in thrall, share his feast and share his fall. You shall see your fortune flower till the torrent takes the tower. Yet none but Hagsgate's town may bring the castle swirling down. A few others joined in as he recited the old malditation. Their voices were sad and far, as though they were not in the room at all, but were tumbling in the wind high over the inn's chimney, helpless as dead leaves. What is it about their faces? Molly wondered. I almost know. The magician sat silently behind her rolling his wine glass in his long hands. When those words were first spoken, Dren said, Haggard had not been long in the country, and all of it was still soft and blooming, all but the town of Hagsgate. Hagsgate was then, as this land has become, a scrabbly, bare place where men put great stones on the roots of their huts to keep them from blowing away. He grinned bitterly at the older men. Crops to harvest. Stock your tend. You grew cabbages and rutabagas and a few pale potatoes. And in all of Hagsgate, there was but one weary cow. Strangers thought the town accursed, having offended some vindictive witch or other. Molly felt the unicorn go by in the street, then turn and come back, restless as the torches on the wall that bowed and wiggled. She wanted to run out to her, but instead she asked quietly, and afterward... When that had come true, Dren answered, From that moment, we have known nothing but bounty. 
Our grim earth has grown so kind that gardens and orchards sprang up by themselves. We need neither to plant nor tend them. Our flocks multiply. Our craftsmen become more clever in their sleep. The air we breathe and the water we drink keep us from ever knowing illness. All sorrow parts to go around us. And this has come about while the rest of the realm, once so green, has shriveled to cinders under Hagrid's hand. For 50 years, none but he and we have prospered. It's as though all others had been cursed. Share his feast and share his fall, Smendrick Marbin. I see, I see. He gulped another glass of the black wine and laughed. But old King Haggard still rules and will wait until the sea overflows. You don't know what a real curse is. Let me tell you my troubles. Easy tears suddenly glittered in his eyes. To begin with, my mother never liked me. She pretended, but I knew. Dren interrupted him, and just then, Molly realized what was strange about the folk of Hagsgate. Every one of them was well and warmly dressed, but the faces that peered out of their fine clothes were the faces of poor people, cold as ghosts and too hungry to eat, Dren said. Yet, none but one of Hagsgate's town may bring the castle swirling down. How can we delight in our good fortune when we know it must end, and that one of us will end it? Every day makes us richer and brings us one day nearer to our doom, magician. For 50 years, we have lived leanly, avoided attachment, unite, un untied all habits, readying ourselves for the sea. We have taken not a moment's joy in our wealth or in anything else. For joy is one more thing to lose. Pity Hagsgate, strangers. For in all the wretched world, there can be no town more unhappy. Lost, 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 the town folk whimpered. Misery, misery we. Molly Grew stared wordlessly at them, but Smendrick said respectfully, That's a good curse. That's a professional job. I always say, wherever you're having done, go to an expert. It pays in the long run. Dren frowned, and Molly nudged Smendrick. The magician blinked. Oh, well, what is it that you wish of me? I must warn you that I'm not a very skillful sorcerer, but I will be glad to lift the curse from you if I can. I had not taken you for any more than you are, Dren answered, but such as you are, you should do well as any. I think we will leave the curse the way it is. If it were lifted, we might not become poor again, but we would no longer grow steadily richer, and that would be just as bad. No, our real task is to keep Hagger's tower from falling, and since the hero who will destroy it can only come from Hagsgate, this should not be impossible. For one thing, we allow no strangers to settle here. We keep them away, by force if we must but more often by guile. Those dark tales of Hagsgate that you spoke of, we invented them ourselves, and we spread them as widely as we could to make certain that we would have a few visitors. He smiled proudly with his hollow jaws. Smendrick propped his chin on his knuckles and regarded Dren with a sagging smile. What about your own children? he asked. How can you keep one of them from growing up to fulfill the curse? He looked around the inn, sleepily studying every wrinkled face that looked back at him. Come to think of it, he said slowly, are there no young people in this town? 
How early do you send children to bed in Hagsgate? No one answered him. Molly could hear blood creaking in ears and eyes and skin twitching like water plucked by the wind. Then Dren said, We have no children. We have had none since the day that our curse was laid upon us. He coughed into his fist and added, <coughs> It seemed the most obvious way of foiling the witch. Smendrick threw back his head and laughed without making a sound, laughed to make the torches dance. Molly realized that the magician was quite drunk. Dren's mouth disappeared and his eyes hardened into cracked porcelain. I can see no humor in our plight, he said softly. None at all. None, Smendrick gurgled, bowling over the table and spilling his wine. None. Pardon me. None. None at all. Under the angry gaze of 200 eyes, he managed to recover himself and reply seriously to Dren. Then it would seem to me that you have no worries. None of that you will worry you anyway. A small wee of laughter sneaked out between his lips, like steam from a tea kettle. So it would seem, Dren leaned forward and touched Smendrick's wrist with two fingers. But I have not told you all the truth. Twenty-one years ago, a child was born in Hagsgate. Whose child it was, we never knew. I found it myself. As I was crossing the marketplace one winter's night, it was lying on a butcher's block, not crying. Although there was snow, but warm and chuckling under a comforter of stray cats. They were all purring together, and the sound was heavy with knowledge. I stood by the straying cradle for a long time, pondering while the snow fell and the cats purred prophecy. He stopped, and Molly grew, said eagerly, you took the child home with you, of course, and raise it as your own? Dren laid his hands palm up on the table. I chased the cats away, he said, and went home alone. Molly's face turned the color of mist. Dren shrugged silently. I know the birth of a hero when I see it, he said. Omens and portents, snakes in the nursery. Had it not been for the cats, I might have chanced the child. But they made it so obvious, so mythological. What was I to do? Knowingly harbor Hagsgate's doom? His lip twitched, as though a hook had set in it. As it happened, I erred. But it was on the side of tenderness. When I returned at sunrise, the baby had vanished. Smendrick was drawing pictures with his finger in a puddle of wine, and might have heard nothing at all. Dren went on. Naturally, no one ever admitted to leaving the child in the marketplace, and though we searched every house from cellar to Devicott, we never found it again. I might have concluded that wolves had taken the brat, or even that I had dreamed of the whole encounter, cats and all. But for the fact that the very next day, a herald of King Haggard's came riding to town, ordering us to rejoice. After thirty years of waiting, the king had a son at last, he looked away from the look on Molly's face. Our foundling, incidentally, was a boy. Smendrick, lip, <laughs> Smendrick licked the tip of his finger and looked up. Lear, he said thoughtfully. Prince Lear. But there was no other way to account for his appearance? Not likely, Jim snorted. Any woman that would marry Haggard, even Haggard would refuse. He gave out the tale that the boy was a nephew whom he graciously adopted on the death of his parents. But Haggard has no relatives, no family. There are those who say that he was born of an overcast, as Venus was born out of the sea. 
No one would give King Haggard a child to raise. The magician calmly held out his glass and filled it himself when Dren refused. Well, he got one somewhere, and good for him. But how could he have come by, your little cat baby? Dren said. He walks in Hagsgate at night, not often, but now and then. Many of us have seen him. Tall, haggard, gray as driftwood, prowling alone, under an iron moon, picking up dropped coins and broken dishes, spoons, stones, handkerchiefs, rings, stepped on apples, anything, everything, no reason to it. It was Haggard who took the child. I'm certain of it, as I'm certain that Prince Lear was the one that will topple his tower and sink Haggard and Hagsgate together. I hope he is, Molly broke in. I hope Prince Lear is that baby you left to die. And I hope he drowns your town. And I hope the fish nibble you bear as corn cobs. Smenger kicked her in the ankle as hard as he could, for the listeners were beginning to hiss like embers. And a few were rising to their feet. He asked again, What is it that you wish of me? You're on your way to Hagger's castle, I believe. Smendrick nodded. Ah, Dren said. Now, a clever magician would find it simple to become friendly with Prince Lear, who is reputed to be a young man of eagerness and curiosity. A clever magician might be acquainted with all manner of odd potions and powders, poppets and filters, herbs and banes and ungerants. A clever magician, mind you, I said clever, no more. A clever magician might be able, under the proper circumstances, he let the rest drift away unspoken, but no less said. For a meal, Smendrick stood up, knocking his chair over. He leaned on the table with both hands, breathing harshly. Is that the going rate these days? Dinner and wine, the price of a poison prince? You'll have to do better than that, friend Dren. I wouldn't do in a chimney sweep for such a fee. Molly Grew gripped his arm, crying. What are you saying? The magician shook her hand away. But at the same time, he lowered one eyelid in a slow wink. Dren leaned back in his chair, smiling. I never haggle with a professional, he said. Twenty-five pieces of gold. They haggled for a half an hour, Smendrick demanding a hundred pieces of gold, and Dren refusing to offer more than forty. At last, they settled on seventy, half to be paid then, and half upon Smendrick's successful return. Dren counted out all the money on the spot from a leather pouch in his belt. You'll spend the night in Hagsgate, of course, he said. I will be pleased to put you up myself. But the magician shook his head. I think not. We will go on to the castle, since we're so near it now. The sooner there, the sooner back, huh? And then he grinned a crafty and conspiratorial grin. Hagger's castle is always dangerous, Dren warned. But it's never more dangerous than at night. They said that about Hagsgate, too, Smendrick replied. You mustn't believe everything you hear, dear Dren. He walked to the door of the inn, and Molly followed him. There, he turned and beamed at the folk of Hacksgate, hunched in their finery. I would like to leave you with this last thought, he told them. The most professional curse ever snarled or croaked or thundered can have no effect on a pure heart. Good night. Outside, the night lay coiled in the street, cobra cold and scaled with stars. There was no moon. 
Smendrick stepped out boldly, chuckling to himself and jingling his cold coins. Without looking at Molly, he said, suckers, to assume so lightly that all magicians dabble in death. Now, if they had wanted me to lift the curse, uh, I might have done it for them for no more than a meal. I might have done it for a single glass of wine. I'm glad you did it, Molly said savagely. They deserve their fate. They deserve worse. To leave a child in the snow? Well, if they hadn't, he wouldn't have grown up to be a prince. Haven't you ever been in a fairy tale before? The magician's voice was kind and drunken, and his eyes were as bright as new money. The hero has to make a prophecy come true, and the villain is the one who has to stop him. Though, in another kind of story, it's more often the other way around. And a hero has to be in trouble from the moment of his birth, or he's no real hero. It is a great relief to find out about the Prince Lear. I've been waiting for this tale to turn up a leading man. The unicorn was there as the star is suddenly there, moving a little way ahead of them, a sail in the dark, Molly said. If Lear is the hero, what is she? That's different. Hagrid and Lear and Dren and you and I, we are in a fairy tale. It must go where it goes. But she, she's real. She is real. Smendrick yawned and hiccuped and shivered all at once. Oh, we better hurry, he said. Perhaps we should have stayed the night, but old Dren makes me nervous. I'm sure I deceived him completely, but all the same. It seemed to Molly, dreaming and waking as she walked, that Hagsgate was stretching itself like a paw to hold the three of them back, curling around them and battling them gently back and forth so that they trod in their own tracks over and over. In a hundred years, they reached the last house and the end of the town. In another fifty years, they had blundered through the damp fields, the vineyards, and the crouching orchards. Molly dreamed that sheep leered at them from the treetops and that the coal cows stepped on their feet and shoved them off the withering path. But the light of the unicorn sailed on ahead, and Molly followed it, awake or asleep. King Haggard's castle was stalking in the sky, a blind black bird that fished the valley by night. Molly could hear the breathing of its wings. Then the unicorn's breath stirred in her hair, and she heard Smendrick asking, How many men? Three men, the unicorn said. They have been behind us since we left Hagsgate, but now they're coming swiftly. Listen. Steps too soft for their quickness, voices too muffled to mean any good. The magician rubbed his eyes. Perhaps Jen has started to feel guilty about underpaying his poisoner, he murmured. Perhaps his conscience is keeping him awake. Anything's possible. Perhaps I have feathers. He took Molly by the arm and pulled her down into a hard, hollow by the side of the road. The unicorn lay nearby, still as moonlight. Daggers gleaming like fish trails in the dark sea. A voice, suddenly loud and angry. I tell you, we've lost them. We passed them a mile back, where I heard the rustling. I'm damned if I run any further. Be still, the second voice whispered fiercely. Do you want them to escape and betray us? You're afraid of the magician? but you do better to be afraid of the Red Bull. If Haggard finds out about our half of the curse, he'll send the bull to trample us all into crumbs. The first man answered in a softer tone. It isn't that I'm afraid. A magician without a beard is no magician at all. 
but we're wasting our time. They left the road and cut across the country as soon as they knew we were following. We could chase them along here all night and never come up with them. Another voice, warier than the first two. We've chased them all night. Look over there. Dawn's coming. Molly found that she had wiggled halfway under Smendrick's black cloak and buried her face in a clump of spiny dead grass. She dared not raise her head, but she opened her eyes and saw that the air was growing strangely light. The second man said, You're a fool. It's a good two hours to morning, and besides, we're headed west. In that case, the third voice replied, I'm going home. Footsteps started briskly back up to the road. The first man called, Wait, don't go. Wait, I'll go with you, to the second man. He muttered hastily, I'm not going home. I just want to retrace our trail a little way. I think I still heard them, and I've dropped my tinderbox somewhere. Molly could hear him edging off as he spoke. Damn you for cowards, the second man swore. Wait a moment then. Will you wait till I try what Dren told me? The retreating footsteps hesitated, and he chanted loudly. Warmer than summer, more filling than food, sweeter than women, and dearer than blood. Hurry, the third voice said. Hurry. Look at the sky. What is this nonsense? Even the second man's voice was growing nervous. Uh, it is a nonsense. Dren treats his money so well that it cannot bear to be parted from him. Most touching relationship you ever saw. This is the way he calls to it. He went on rapidly, quivering a little. Stronger than water and kinder than dove. Say the name of the one you love. Dren rang the gold coins in Smendrick's purse. Dren, 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 Dren. Then everything happened. The ragged black coat whipped against Molly's cheek as Smendrick rolled to his knees, groping desperately for the purse. It buzzed like a rattlesnake in his hand. He hurled it so far in the brush that the three men were running at them all together, daggers as red as though they were already struck. Beyond King Haggard's castle, a burning brightness was rising, breaking into the night like a great shoulder. The magician stood erect, menacing the attackers with demons metamorphosis, paralyzing ailments, and secret judo holds. Molly picked up a rock. With an old gray, terrible cry of ruin, the unicorn reared out her hiding place. Her hooves came slashing down like a rain of razors. Her mane raged, and on her forehead, she wore a plume of lightning. The three assassins dropped their daggers and hid their faces, and even Molly grew and Smendrick cowered before her. But the unicorn saw none of them, mad, Dancing, sea white, she belted her challenge again. And the brightness answered her with a bellow like the sound of ice breaking up in the spring. Dren's men fled, stumbling and shrieking. Haggard's castle was on fire, tossing wildly in a sudden cold wind. Molly said aloud, But, but it has to be the sea. It's supposed to be. She thought that she could see a window as far away as it was and a gray face. Then the Red Bull came. Bam, bam, bam. Thanks for joining me. See you tomorrow. Bye. Love you.